0: Some people claim that the atrocities we commit in our fiction are those inner desires which we cannot commit in our controlled civilization. So they are expressed instead through our art. I don't agree. I believe heaven and hell are one and the same. The soul belongs to heaven and the body to hell. Welcome back to the Blasphemous Sable Podcast. I'm your host, Jake, and with me today is, of course, my trustworthy co-host, Addison. How are you doing today, Addison? I'm making it. How are you? Well, I'm, well, I'm certainly making it as well. So, um, today, we are talking about um, Michael Hankey's um, 2005 psychological thriller, Caché, also known as Hedden, um, which follows a upper-middle-class family who are terrorized by anonymous tapes that appear at their front porch to show that the family is under surveillance. Um, Hanky has a pretty wide reputation for kind of showing violence and um, stuff of that nature. In ways that fit into our current reality and touches on a lot of themes that connect to our way of living, um, and I had no idea what this movie was about going into it. Is this um, your first Sineki film? No, I watched the original Funny Games before.
1: Oh yeah, that's right. The um, Funny Games,
0: and I was very surprised by the product that he revealed through this 2 hour experience i should say like Definitely how would, how would, how would you like coming out of it how would how do you feel right now i
1: loved it i mean i was kind of expecting to love it though just cuz i've liked every movie i've seen from him so far
0: mm-hmm.
1: which is only 3 i've just seen the original funny games and the remake then this and then this, but I've always like been wanting to watch this one for same reasons that I like the remake of Funny Games more than the original is. Mm-hmm. I always heard that it was very meta and it had like much more commentary on the aspect of actual filmmaking and what yeah it had entails and everything, and also just how just plot and structure and it has that classic Hineki. I don't know what you would call it, kind of shock value violence, but it's like, it's kind of tame but at the same time it catches you off guard. But, at a
0: point, yeah, certainly. And, yeah. yeah.
1: Um, uh, but I loved it. I thought it was great. I thought it was an amazing movie. And, yeah, I think
0: it was just really good On all in all. All the way around. <laughs> um, the one thing that I can say about Haneke is that once you finish a film, it's not it, like, completely throws you off. In a way that it's none of his films are like you said they're meta and stuff like that, but they're not conventional in the way of storytelling that normal film is follows. Um, This movie, if you want payoff, you're not going to get it.
1: Um, There was actually a thing about that that he said for this movie in an interview because he was saying that like mainstream audiences today and everything are so used to having closure and having yep. like exactly what they want to know told to them so they don't have to think about the movie after it's over. And he was like, I don't make movies for that. I make movies to where when it ends that you will not forget about it. And I was exactly. like, Exactly oh, that's that's the way it should be, I feel like. <laughs>
0: yeah. No, yeah, for sure. Because there's definitely things that are left unanswered in what like going off what he says is like it's in a good way. Like Immediately after this movie ends, it's like you kind of you're kind of just sitting with yourself, um, trying to piece a lot of the things together in a way where like, all right, that I certainly get that there, I get that there. Um after this I watched a short um uh, well, it's about an hour long, um podcast I'm not done with yet called Spectacular Attractions. Um Episode 3, Part 4 on Cache, you can find it on YouTube, that it's a really interesting analysis on this film and just um, hanky overall. Um, The thing is, like this movie touches on so many different themes that they're definitely there presently at points in the film. But if it's doesn't fully come together until after you watched it because you don't get that closure you're expecting.
1: Yeah. It's like open to interpretation. Like you could even sit there and say that the whole story is not meant to make sense and you could make that a valid argument, but at the same time you could have someone else make the valid argument that they know exactly what happened and they know how it happened and it could work either way. And that's the cool thing about it is that it's it's completely open-ended, but it could work whether it does or doesn't plot
0: wise <laughs> for sure um so just touching on the basic um like plot details and um your mic's kind of scratchy right now good sir who's this yours
1: it's still scratching
0: a little bit yeah I don't know what it's doing I'm not
1: near anything, unless it's just. Oh, now it's gone. Okay. <laughs> what was it? I don't know. I mean, I was just moving around. I have no idea what it was. Okay. Maybe um, I'm moving too much.
0: I'll cut that out. When all right. So, getting into like the regular plot details of the movie. Um. So we have a middle class family. The the husband George is um. He's a talk show host, and um, the wife is Anne, who is played by Juliette Binoche. Um, Hi, <laughs> Yeah, um, she she's like easily turning into like I'm I'm so excited to see her in films now when I you know watch stuff because mm-hmm. um, she definitely is a great actress and I'm always really excited to see what she does and she's really good in this movie too. Um, But so they are suddenly terrorized in their eyes by videotapes that are left at, at their porch, often in drawings of either a kid spewing out blood, a chicken with its head sliced, And it's just two-hour footages of them and their house. Just, like, two-hour footages of just, like, a shot of their house, and you can see them coming in and out and stuff like that. Um, um, The family, obviously, is getting freaked out by these tapes that are just two-hour-long tapes of pictures of their house and of them arriving going back to work stuff like that and so we get into basically a territory where we start to get like certain flashbacks to the father's childhood where you see a kid spewing up blood then you get another one of this other kid who chops off the head of a chicken Uh, at their home and apparently i didn't know this hanky has a reputation of actually killing animals on his films oh really yeah that was an actual chicken death oh i didn't know that either yeah so that's certainly something um and so like the kid like after like the chickens like squirming and everything and he wakes up, whatever. So you keep on getting more and more tapes, same things every single time. Um, and the film kind of goes from there. And as a background, there's certain parts where it's like showing like the country in international tor- turmoil with, um, Algerians and stuff like that. Um so a big you don't really realize it and well you get some aspects of it, but there's certain things that happen to the film during the film that lead you to believe there is some themes of colonialization going on and like the the inner conflicts of class warfare basically kind of also present in films like Funny Games. And I didn't know this, but in all of Hanky's films that deal with like middle-class families, the mother and father all have the same name of George and (laughs) Anne. I never realized that either. That's pretty cool, actually. It is. Um, So this film ends up turning into something more of basically trying to... As the importance of the exploration of guilt, basically colonialization and the guilt that comes from it from um these countries, because Hanky said it himself interviews every single country and stuff like that, almost a lot of them have their own dark pasts that like certain like middle class families and stuff like that. Have guilt towards, and those conflicts pop up every once in a while in our in our lives. Um, there's a scene in the movie where they're coming out of a police department because they try to report the tapes, and where they come into contact with a a black man, and the father George erupts on him, and it's like an altercation that doesn't need to happen and it's kind of symbolizing like kind of that on that tempered and um building conflict within those these middle-class families between these different classes um and it all unleashes on this just one random guy for just one little simple misunderstanding yeah all he was doing was riding his bike Yeah, Um, So going forward in the film, basically you find out that when he was a kid, um, one of his um, parents' co-workers um, went off to the Algerian war with the French and they ended up dying and the family felt responsible. So they took in the kid named Majid. And, um, George said lies about the kid, accusing him of having, like, tuberculosis and stuff like that. And he was taken away from his, from that family that he was adopted into. Um. Yeah, he lied on him multiple times. Yeah. Because the first time
1: the doctor, like, the family doctor, whatever, said, oh, it was nothing serious, and. He's not really. He doesn't really have it or anything. But then he just kept lying on him until he eventually did the chicken thing.
0: Yeah,
1: and he got taken away.
0: Um, and you know the father really he doesn't understand why something at six years old, something he did six years old, is worth taking revenge on. But it's not really about that because like the film's not really about that. It's about the colonialism and the mistreatment of um, certain classes that mi- middle class to higher class people perpetrate on those um, lower classes and how it affects their lives down the line and their livelihoods and everything like that.
1: Yeah, it affects their, like, their future too because even the son of Majid was like, you know, there were so many opportunities and educational purposes and everything that he didn't get because
0: he was oh, sent away, born. basically. He basically, because if he was born into, not born, but like if he was basically continued to line with this family, his life would be a lot different. Um, so one of the tapes shows a a random um, apartment number in this like low rent housing and housing and the husband goes and you learn it's the it's the kid that he grew up with that he eventually got sent away um and the guy's like i i'm glad you came i have no idea what you're talking about in terms of the tapes um i've basically he's like would you even recognize me if, like, I was in, out in public? You probably wouldn't have, but you're here now. Um, and basically, you really see the contrast between each family. The way he's living is, like, in this low-rent flat where, obviously, he's not living off very well. Yeah, and, barely, like, any furniture or anything. Yeah, and George is a talk show host. His family was very comfortably and in, in a very nice house. Um, they and, a nice-ass townhome. Yep, and you deal with the whole theme of like literally when something as small, it's not really small, but like in the grand scheme of things, when someone's trying to video your house, that that privacy of the middle and higher class is very threatened, um, and it comes into you know protecting your family, and him threatening, Majid basically like, you know if you do anything in my family, I'm gonna, I'm gonna really hurt you, stuff like that. Um. So we get to the point where, um, the the kid goes missing, the. George and Anne's kid goes missing. And of course, the first people they go to as a suspect is Majid. And it turns out that he has a son. He's um, unnamed in this movie, right? The son is? Um, his... Yeah, he doesn't have a name. Yeah. That's what I thought. I was
1: trying to remember if it was unnamed, but yes. He has a kid also.
0: Yeah. Um and of course right away they're taken in um they're taken in under suspicion of kidnapping when the kid was just he was just out with people (laughs) he just spent the night at someone's house yeah (laughs) Um, and just didn't tell him yeah and so obviously you know it's like also kind of this underlying theme of just like you know they're at the they're kind of Majid and his family is kind of at the root of being blamed for everything um and it was as simple as you know George going to pick up on these people of um suspicion of kidnapping um and you kind of like during the whole time when you're watching this movie is that you're obviously you start on the side of. George and Anne, because there's a certain level of understanding how disturbing it is that someone's videoing your family and videoing your home, that your sense of privacy is being um, disrupted, and disturbing images are showing up at your house as well. Um, but you realize as time goes on is that. Rich people kind of suck <laughs> if you didn't know that already, <laughs> um, and it, there's certain t- entitlements that the upper class feels they have when they're not necessarily any better than any anyone else. Um, and they're, yeah. so <laughs> yeah. they're so entitled. They're so entitled, especially
1: this family. Like it's just ridiculous, like the way in their friends, like you can just tell. Oh, especially the, party the friends. They had with yeah. their friends. It just, yeah. the whole time, you're just like, oh my god. These yeah. are the worst kind of people. Like, I would never want to
0: eat dinner with these people. Um, then also, you have, basically, um, you're shown that there was a hidden camera inside of Majid's home when him and George were having that conversation.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, when he threatens him the first time.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, so let's, I mean, let's talk a little bit about the, that hitting camera and stuff like that. So the whole point of this movie is not even to discuss, really, who's behind the the videoing of this family. That's not the point. Um, yeah. But I'm going to ask you anyway, who do you think it truly was? Uh,
1: I mean... If we're talking plot-wise and I had to give an answer, yeah. I would say um, it was that it was his son yeah. working with Majid's son. Yeah. The sons were yeah. working together. Yeah. But in the grand scene of the movie and in the way I think Haneki actually made it to be, I don't think the, like you said, there, there's never really a point to figuring out who has the cameras and who's recording because I think it's meant to be very meta in the sense of like voyeurism and the sense of how whenever you watch a movie or something like that, the obsession that people and humans have with just being involved in drama and other people's lives. And it's very omniscient. Like the camera is there are certain scenes that you watch and everything where it's like, it's unrealistic that it would even be a hidden camera. And you're like, and you're like, you know, it kind of feels more like it's Haneki. It's just the director playing with the camera and he is, Mm -hmm basically creating plot points and moving the story along not just through a script and not just through making a film but actually within the film itself he is still like playing god essentially yeah so that that's the way i look at it is just a very good commentary about like voyeurism and just how much damage like a camera can do if you have it on anyone's darkest moments and stuff like that that's the way i look
0: at it yeah i wanted you to kind of get to that point Um, because like, even like the opening shot of the movie is like, you almost think it's like kind of this establishing shot, but it ends up that you're watching it from another, you're watching it from the family's perspective of them watching the tape.
1: Yes. Which is that, that's amazing to me when I first started watching it. I already thought the establishing shot and then having like the opening credits and everything. Oh, the opening credits were awesome. Like roll, like kind yeah. of just type out over. I thought all that was great. And then when I found out that it was actually like them watching it while we were watching it the whole time, I was like, oh, that's a really neat like film technique. That's really yeah. cool. It's a good way to start a film like this.
0: Yeah. And it, it's all, and it kind of like like it builds onto it when you're talking about the hidden camera because it's like you're not obviously it feels like you're almost, you're just like watching the film through this perspective of um, this family. Then you get into a hidden camera and you're kind of just watching it from afar.
1: Yeah. It's like, it's kind of like Hineki's making fun of the audience too, for being so like committed to the film and everything. Like you are watching it and it makes you feel like you're a part of the family, but also a part of the people who are actually doing the, Crime and everything,
0: yep. Um, so there's um, a point in the movie where, after all this kind of dies down a little bit, after you know, um, the son is found, something like that. Um, Majid asks George to come back to his apartment when George arrives um Majid denies sanctity tapes and he wants to, he's like I wanted you present for this and he, he he this is usually like the most shocking moment in the movie he just oh yeah Majid just slices his own throat open with a with a straight razor too like Yeah, it's and it's
1: like, it is like you said it's, it's so shocking just cuz you don't see it coming at all like he's no. just like inviting him over tell him about the tapes. He comes over and he's like, I never had anything to do with the tapes. I just wanted you present for this. And then he just like pulls out the switchblade and just slices his throat. And the blood yeah. like goes everywhere.
0: Yeah. Um, it's like, when you think of like the father's perspective of everything, he's like, you know, he tries to rationalize to himself. He's like, why does it matter what I did something so minuscule when I was six? but you realize we, like we talked a little bit earlier is like that action led to him having a lesser life in the context of also all these um, international conflicts going on. That's at like the heart of the problem. And it was kind of just like building to that point where it's like he, he committed suicide. Um. And what does the father do right after it? What do you mean? You mean when he's, like, dying? (laughs) No, like, after
1: that scene. Oh, I thought you were talking about Majid's father. I mean, you thought you were talking about Majid. Well, the dad, he he basically just goes out. Like, he doesn't call the police. He doesn't report anything. He just...
0: He goes to the movies.
1: Yeah, he just leaves and just goes out, and then he just watches movie. He's like I think he's like in shock I guess is what yeah. you call it I um, guess that's why he'd go watch a movie but at the same time I don't know because so, then he goes back home and explains it to his wife and he was just like I don't want to report anything I don't want yeah. to tell anyone about anybody
0: because um, I think this moment is very important just of Haneke's overall view on life is that like he's not a very big media person and um, you know He kind of thinks that the way the media constructs images, the truth is there, but they're false images almost. And so it's almost a direct commentary on the way we consume media is like, this man's literally just going to go watch a movie afterwards. And it's interesting. One of the movies is about, I think it was like two brothers or something like that. It's about two tire cubs who get separated earlier in life, then reconvene later, much later in life. And they have like this kind of like duel. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, that is a cool. Hey, and I was like, piece. so obviously, you know, that like directly coincides with George's Majid's life. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, earlier in the movie, um, you also understand that that his George's mother is kind of sick and getting older, and you know he brings up the fact of Majid. and you know she says it was she does never thinks about her really because it wasn't a very pleasant time and stuff like that. She doesn't want to think about bad memories.
1: And she says it was like a dark time. Yeah, she. I don't know what she also says. Like,
0: why would you be thinking about Majid Also, yeah. It's almost like, and also that, like, dude, there's so much, this movie does not have a single scene that's not important. Yes, agreed. Like, even, like, thinking about this now, I didn't even realize to me, like, their whole commentary on them, not, like, her asking, why would you even think about it, is, like, direct commentary on, like, people taking place in certain um international conflicts is like why would you even think about it it's like like people downplaying it as something that's not important whatsoever.
1: It's like that first world problems kind yeah, of situation exactly. where it's like why would you think about anything that's going on outside of your own family dynamic and everything? Why would you be worried about it?
0: Exactly. Um I also want to say is like dude this movie is one of the most gripping it's so grip it it's like even though it's not anything like too in your face. Like from moments beginning to moment's end, you're in this movie. It's like it's super hard to get disconnected to it. And once it's finished, you really, like I wanted to get back into it. I've noticed that with a lot of like the
1: Nicky's films too. It seems like as soon as they start, they it's like it hooks you in. Like it's a it grips and it really doesn't let go. Yeah. Until you like basically the credits roll. But it always is enticing enough to where you just want to know what happens, mm-hmm. even if you don't feel like you're going to get closer or anything.
0: Yeah. Um, let's talk about a little bit of performances for a little bit. Um, so, George, played by um, Daniel Atul, um, he was really good in this movie. I mean, when you're talking about Hankey's direction in terms of, in terms of, how he wanted this character to be, I mean, it's spot on. Um, he was good. He was a good lead. Like, especially in... Mo- like, there's a moment in the movie where Majid's son confronts him at his place of work. <laughs>
1: yes, yeah, so that was... I think that was actually his best acting in the whole movie.
0: So you get this sh- Like, they, he's like, I can't... I don't have any time. Bye. And he gets into an elevator, and The elevator
1: scene. He gets in,
0: and you literally... It's literally the same shot. Like, the same shot for, like, two minutes, or, like, probably, like, a minute and a half, of them both in the elevator and Majid's son just staring at him. And you can see George's reflection in the mirror. And it's so intense.
1: That's one of my favorite scenes, actually, is when they both get in the elevator. Because at first, it doesn't look like He's going to follow George into the elevator, but then he jumps in and it was just genius directing how the camera pans from the door closing to then to the left when he stands in the corner. And then there's a mirror behind him. So you can see George making eye contact and like staring him down the whole time. And it's just such a tense scene, even though it's just
0: an elevator ride.
1: Like that's all it
0: is. And like going on to the theme of like, you know, wanting closure out of things, you know, Majid's son pulls him into the bathroom, basically. Is like, and George Ashton is like, what do you want? What do you want? And you ne- he never tells him. He never tells him whatsoever. All he wants to know is, how does it feel to have a death on your conscious- consciousness? You don't get, there's no particular reason for him being there other than he's just confronting him to just confront him.
1: Yeah, he just wants to see if he gets, like, triggered just by the his existence. And just he wants to see that kind of look in his eyes to see if the, um, the suicide really affected him. And he gets that as soon as he tells him, like, I just wanted to see if hit that life on your conscience was how it was messing with you. And as soon as he says that, you see George kind of, like, pull back a little bit, and then you immediately see... Majad's son realized that yeah, all right, it it affected him. So I've already, I've done
0: my job basically. Yeah, um, and there's a point where George is like, you know, after the whole thing, he like, he goes home and he's trying to make dinner, and he just breaks down. Yeah, and I, um, Daniel O'Toole's, um, performance in this movie is really good, and Juliette Binoche's is insanely good too um because she really plays a role in like just the motherly kind of figure who's like at second hand is like trying to protect her family and worrying about her family and george really never really there's a point where he doesn't tell her things
1: yeah she feels out of the loop and she it it upsets her too because she doesn't She thinks that he's cutting her out of what's happening.
0: Yeah. And there's, like, her whole dialogue is, like, if I was in, well, if you were in my shoe and stuff like that, and where's that mutual trust? All that was very good, and that was, like, probably, like, one of my favorite moments with her in the movie. Because it really nails it. It's so so real, and it's so... I wouldn't say, like, you it's relatable in the way you understand how exactly how she's feeling in a situation like this, even yeah. though a lot of us wouldn't have been in a situation like this. We can put ourselves in her shoes and understanding a lot of her conflicts during this whole thing. For sure. Um, Maurice um, Benutru or some, I can't pronounce his last name plays Majid is also really good in the moments that he's in the movie.
1: Um yeah, he has the most shocking moment. <laughs> and yeah, he kills it. He does. That's one that's one of the best quotes in the whole movie, too. Is like, I just wanted you present
0: for this. And then like he does it. It's and insane. It's like, dude, I s my jaw, my jaw literally dropped at that moment.
1: <laughs> really?
0: I I literally sat there with my jaw down for like 30 seconds. Did I, you notice the blood splat
1: oh, yeah. behind him? How yeah. that's the yep. splat on the poster? Yep. Yep. I thought that was interesting.
0: Um, there's also another really interesting, cool little tidbit about the movie is that so there's a at the beginning, like Juliet Binoche tells him, Hey, this is the tape is two hours long. Um, the movie's also VHS's are two hours long, and the movie's two hours long. Yeah,
1: which again, I think that's that meta aspect.
0: Yeah, um, it just like goes to show is like, dude, Hanky. He's like, off of these two movies alone, he's like one of the most thorough directors I've watched. Everything has a purpose, and there's so many nuanced details throughout that you may not realize are there, but they're all there. And, I mean, that's just the brilliance of what he's bringing to the screen. Then on top of it is all these themes that he's perpetuating onto you that you will think about for a while um that's and I, what i
1: like about him so much is all he's like one of the filmmakers that does all nuance like you said he doesn't just film stuff and then he just doesn't put everything in the kitchen sink in the movie and then has like three hour cuts and all this like he's literally so tactile and so just specific and surgical about everything where he's like no this is in the movie because of this and everything has a purpose and everything has a
0: reason yeah it's great i love it um and kind of the end of the film is you get another long take um and where you cuz this it was almost like this shot was established early in the movie when The father is picking up his son. But now you have a shot establishing the same thing, but you see the son convened with Bajid's son. Yeah,
1: on the steps of
0: the school. For like 30 seconds, and they go about their separate ways, and that's end credits.
1: You know, uh, there's another funny little piece of trivia from that interview Haneki said that he showed it to like multiple people before it was screened and Uh only about half the people he showed it to even noticed that Majid's son and George's son were in
0: the scene. See, that's interesting because when I saw that shot again, I knew I was going to get one thing out of it. I knew I was going to see the son at one moment, so I knew I was going to look for him and once I looked for him, you get everything there. Mm-hmm.
1: It's just funny to me that people missed it. Like, there's half the people he showed it to didn't even realize anything happened.
0: I mean, that's also, like, you know, kind of just, like, the mainstream kind of audience thing is, like, I don't know. I mean... They it all, just weren't paying attention. Yeah. <laughs> it's really surprising how many people don't really pay attention to movies. You know what I mean? Especially... Yes. So, I mean, that's also kind of just another, like theme he like he kind of throws in basically it just kind of as a whole
1: um i feel like he does that a lot where he kind of wants to make you pay attention like fincher does that too where he makes you pay attention to the movie because he knows how mainstream audiences are and stuff yeah and i just like that because even before the shot of like the two sons meeting on the steps right before that is Majid getting taken away as a child mm-hmm. and it's a long take also and a lot of people probably wouldn't even realize that at first until you see all the chickens and, like, the house and everything. Yep. Yeah,
0: because, like, the one thing is, like, there's the thing that sent to him was the the take of a car driving up and showing his um, his child's home. Then you realize it later when you get that shot. Um, and then the car pulls up, and then that whole thing happens. Um.
1: That's one of the main reasons why I considered there was no person ever behind the camera because it was omniscient because that take right there of Majee getting taken away as a child, there's no way either the two sons or anyone in the actual plot of the story could have been recording that at the time that it happened. But it was framed and set up just like all the other hidden camera shots were. Yeah. So I was like, all right, so I, I really don't think there's ever a moment That actually had a real person behind the camera. Like, it's more like an office presence
0: just fucking with everybody. For sure. Um, And, you know, that's, like, the big thing is, like, it drives to the point of um, where does it say Um, of surveillance. It's, like, Hanky playing the role of, like you said, kind of God and certain point of views. And there's, like, like Hanky says is like you know there's all these certain images and it's just a matter of perspective and yeah. all of those all those surveillance shots are literally just a matter of perspective um, and I think overall it's just Hanky's direction here is just so I, I, it's so it, unbiased. It's, it's like ob-
1: so objective. I love yeah.
0: it. It's like you said, but it's also completely fresh. It's like, this has never been, this is completely hanky in his own. You know what I mean? It's, Yeah. I appreciate this movie so much more than I thought it was going to be. Um, so, Yeah. There's also a cool tidbit where um <laughs> where it's basically suggesting Hanky is himself is sending the tapes in the story.
1: <laughs> yeah, that was that was kind of one of the things I was thinking about, the omniscient aspect where it's just Hanky sending the tapes or something like that.
0: uh uh-huh. And basically like, you know, playing with Yeah, I mean
1: it's like a puppeteer, like playing with strings almost. and everything, yeah. and that's he's how, like directing even in
0: the movie. I mean, that's how f- puppet, uh, not puppet. That's how Funny Games almost feels like at that point. It's like you know, the characters almost feel like puppets within a certain story, and especially at the end when, um, like the death happens and like the it rewinds or whatever. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Um, and so. I at the end of the day, I think this movie really opened my eyes a little bit, even though I knew a lot of the themes and I'm still you know i I'm like to consider myself a little well versed in like you know the conflicts that we face as a society today and stuff like that it does it did open my eyes to a lot of things that happen in French culture that i didn't even I didn't even know of, yeah when. I've taken French classes and stuff, and a lot of that stuff wasn't even touched on. It usually never is. Anything yeah.
1: a- anything culturally oppressive or stuff like that is usually left out of the
0: classrooms. Because a lot of this was like stemming from World War II, and it wasn't really accepted until late 90s, early 2000s. So um, overall, I think Hinky really made a film that's, one, just gripping as cinema as a whole, but also very important in the way we view um, colonialism, surveillance, and perspective.
1: The surveillance thing is also a big thing, just because that comes into play with almost all of his films post-9-11. Apparently, he got really...
0: Yes. He got
1: really political about films post-9-11, even when it came to violence and privacy he knew that a lot of cultural stuff and aspects are going to be desensitized to violence and that people would be ridiculous over the top from now on yeah and that's another reason why the violence in the funny games remake and in like films like Caché and stuff are so shocking and jolting because he was trying to make commentary on that and then the surveillance aspect just because you know
0: cctv and all this stuff everyone's has eyes on them now yeah And it's like almost, it feels like a, almost like a follow-up to films, like blow up in the conversation, um, is that mass surveillance is very much kind of a commonplace in our society now to a point where it's kind of scary and it's even, even more scary when it's the subject of what we're watching in this movie. Exactly. Um. Was there anything else that you really wanted to touch on? I like the big thing coming out of this movie is like was pretty much like discussing the themes rather than like, you know, a lot of the content per se in the movie. Because I mean, that's obviously the point of the movie. <laughs> yeah.
1: Exactly. I mean anyone can go watch the scenes, that kind of thing. But the content and everything for sure. And Hineki is just a genius with that, with giving you a lot of content, even if you don't even realize it at first, you might think about it three days later, Mm -hmm. then be like, Oh, that's what that scene was. Or that's what Mm -hmm. that was. He's really good about that. Yeah. But I don't really, I think we've touched on everything,
0: honestly. Mm -hmm. For sure. Um, Well, should we discuss on what we're going to do next? It's Um, your pick this time. It is my pick this time. Let me go into the old disturbing cinema watch list. Um, have you seen Irreversible yet or no? I have. Okay, damn, you give that too. I'm not a fan,
1: (laughs) (laughs) I didn't expect you to give it too. Yeah, Um, I did not like that movie. Hmm. You
0: over there looking at my ratings. <laughs> well, no, I I clicked on it. I'm like, I wonder what Addison, you said you saw it. So I clicked on it and yeah. Um, let's watch this thing called Black Metal Veins. Um, the documentary on Black Metal Veins is unfortunately documents the dark realities of despair and morbid self-annihilation surrounding the lives of five heroin junkies. Oh, okay.
1: That sounds interesting.
0: Um, I've heard this movie is a very tough watch. So, uh <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man, I can imagine. But thank you guys as always for watching. Um, this was definitely easily one of the most exciting movies I got to talk about on this podcast. Oh, yeah. Um, and I really appreciate it. And I just know it's going to be definitely a favorite down the line. That's a Haneki for you. Yeah. Thank you guys as always for listening and we will talk to you guys next time. Peace.